Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast slash video uh, that I like to put together once a week where I like to talk about all things investing, uh, specifically all things um, observations that I'm seeing in the market, observations that I'm uh, other people are seeing uh, in the stock market, and also sharing with you some of my own investment decisions that I make and more specifically the thought process that I'm going through to make these investment decisions really for the whole point purpose of sharing it with you and hopefully you can take some of this away and kind of integrate it and build it into how you make investment decisions. So my name is Amon Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors and what I do as an investment coach is I work with uh, individual investors uh, who want to become more financially independent but just feel totally intimidated, confused, or frustrated by, ho- by the whole investing process. They either don't know where to start when it comes to investing, if they're, if they're just new at it, or if they've been investing for a while, they're just kind of frustrated by the lack of progress that they're making with their portfolio. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people and I engage with them on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their life and achieve it with confidence. So this is episode 90 and as much as the name of this program right here is called Stock Talk where I talk about stocks, uh, I'm not going to be talking about stocks uh, in this episode. Uh, So I've actually kind of been kind of hesitant to even go to where I want to talk about this week is because it's just a lot of things, a lot of times these days, I just get a lot of questions about cryptocurrencies. I get lots of questions about Bitcoin. Geez, Armin, should I be buying Bitcoin? Look at the thing, it's just exploding. Should I should I get in before I miss the, miss the wagon train? A lot of discussion, a lot of chatter about cryptocurrencies. And so, I've been kind of hesitant to kind of talk about it or even go there uh, with it because, frankly, my my knowledge level on this stuff is just not there uh, compared to to stocks. Like stocks are my kind of my and the ETFs are kind of my my forte, my area of I feel uh, knowledgeable about. But cryptocurrencies, very very, I've been very weak on it. But you know what? I thought I'd uh, take a look at this stuff and try to make sense of it and so really what I hear I want to do today is just kind of walk through kind of like a primer um, on cryptocurrencies on Bitcoin on Ethereum Ethereum Um, and try to figure out you know what are these are these like valid valid investments can is it worth investing in this stuff I get this stuff I get this question all the time so today's gonna be kind of like a, a learning kind of lesson in the sense that I'm gonna be learning about this stuff and hopefully we're gonna be learning together and hopefully we'll come out of this episode um, with a little bit of a, a firm or handling of what cryptocurrencies are what Bitcoin is what blockchain technology is and try to figure out you know what is this like an legit thing is this a worthy investment opportunity should I jump in should I jump out what's the value of this stuff what's so good about it what's not so good about it? let's just try to figure this stuff out together so so now when I knew everything about cryptocurrencies to me cryptocurrencies was just one thing it was just Bitcoin <laughs> like I didn't know there was all these other currencies these other payment methods or 
out there, electronic digital currencies out there that were floating around. Uh, last, I thought it was just Bitcoin, and that was it. Um, to my surprise, there are now we've heard about Ethereum um, or Ether. Sorry. Um, last check, last check I did, it was like there's like 750 different kinds of current uh, electronic currencies out there. And I was like, what the hell? Where did all this stuff come from? It's just blown up. It's just exploded in literally months. And so, and we know we know the Bitcoin history. It was you know buy like $100 of Bitcoin would be worth today, whatever, a million, 20 million, 30 million dollars. We heard the stories, we know what it is. So what the hell is going on here? So let's start figuring this stuff out. So first question I kind of ask myself is what, what is it? Like what is Bitcoin? And pretty much the discussion we're gonna have or I'm gonna talk about today is really coming from the perspective of trying to figure out what Bitcoin is. Because it kind of feeds into the whole how uh, the other currencies out there are, are kind of formed and structured and how you look at them. So when you look at Bitcoin, it's, it's, it's a currency. It's basically a form of currency that you could use to go and buy something and you know exchange for goods and services. So just like you would go to a store and you wanted to buy some paper clips, um, you would say, hey, I would like to buy some paper clips. And the person selling the paper clips would say, well, that would cost you two bitcoins. And then you would take out your um, quote unquote wallet, which we'll talk about in a little bit more detail, and you would pay them two bitcoins. And then they would give you back your paper clips. And then you would go along your merry way. That is essentially what bitcoin is. It's no different than you taking out a loony or taking out a dollar. Um, taking on a euro and exchanging it for a specific goods and service. Now, the difference is, and this is the difference really with these digital currencies and Bitcoin, is that compared to like a US dollar or a Canadian dollar or a euro, that money is essentially controlled. There's a controlling element. There is either a government behind it, there is an entity, it's uh, in terms of a circulation of it, in terms of central banks. There's a certain regulatory component to currencies that we, to currencies. The thing with Bitcoin that makes it different is that there is no central uh, authority. There is no control. There's no single person who controls or single entity or central bank or government that controls Bitcoin. It's very decentralized. Essentially, it's almost, when I give you that example of you going to buy paper clips, it's literally a peer-to-peer. -peer. One individual or one group buying something from another individual group and transacting together, exchanging a key or a, uh, a certificate or something that will transfer the value to, to another entity and then receiving a service or another Bitcoin accordingly, trading it uh, in return. Difference also between Bitcoin and traditional currencies is there's no coin per se. And you know, you see those pictures with those little B dollar signs and those coins out there. There's no such thing. There is no tangible um, physical uh, component to any of this. It's all code, it's all digital, it's all ones and zeros. And so you're literally, when you're exchanging Bitcoins, you're exchanging ones and zeros. You're exchanging certificates, codes. We'll get into that in a, in a bit. And the nature of that um, is that in theory, there's been challenges to it, is it's a much more secure way of doing transactions. 
you know, for example, if you gave somebody a dollar, um, you know, physical dollar, there's a chance that you might lose that dollar. You might get, you know, r ripped off. You might get, you know, uh, mugged or whatever and lose that currency. But when you're changing a, a digital, uh, a, basically a code, the chances of you getting losing that code and leaving it on the street, unless you physically told every, told the world what your code was, is pretty low. And then we'll, when we start talking a little bit about blockchain technology, we'll, it gets, we'll get into this whole secure aspect of what makes um, Bitcoin and, and digital currencies appealing. Now, the cool thing really with Bitcoin is, is it's the way, in terms of denominations, it's priced in you know bitcoins, dollar, and you know like we think two dollars and fifty-two cents. Well, you can get two dollars, two fifty-two in Bitcoin dollars per se. Um, but the cool thing that really appeals to people, and I think what's gotten businesses interested, is that you can have transfer money as low as a penny. And so if you're in a business that, like, for example, you sell subscriptions, um, selling some kind of monthly kind of service, you can, instead of, you know, traditionally we would charge, you would charge somebody to access your content, you know, or cable or... Um, you know, magazines or some kind of content or media to consume, you'd pay on a monthly or per use basis. But now with Bitcoin, you can actually charge people, let's say you're running a magazine, you can charge people by the article. Instead of charging people $12 a month, um, you can charge people like, you know, 0 0.05 Bitcoins and per article. And so it gets a very, very granular um, way in terms of how you can, how you can transact. Um, you don't have to have big blob, monthly big blog. And the cool thing also is you can use technology. You can use, you can do it on your phone. You can do it text messaging. You can do it through your website. There's so many different ways you can transact. Now you're probably saying, well, that's no big deal right now. You know, I can send my interact transfers to somebody right now on my phone, or I can do it through my website, or I can move money around, stuff like that. How is you know different? Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. But this, the premise of it is. Transactions are a lot easier. You can do them at much, much lower costs because the cost to transact digital certificates is next to nothing, and there's no middleman to take take a cut out of it. So, um, some history really on Bitcoin. Like, where did this thing come up? Well, it started way back, way back, um, not too long ago, 2008. There was this person, quote unquote person, named Satoshi Nakamoto. And he published a white paper talking about digital currencies um, and coined this term Bitcoin. Um, it was a white paper, and you know, white paper is just basically talking, just thinking out loud with different ideas, concepts, like looking for a new paradigm for how um, currencies can be, you know, exchanging goods and services and all that. So he published it in 2008. A year later, and I'll get to Nakamoto, the whole concept of him, quote unquote him, in a second. In 2009, he or they it released some source code, and it was really the plat the foundation of what the whole Bitcoin digital currency platform revolved around. And it was done in C++, and basically he threw it out there, saying, "Here is the code to do this stuff. You know, feel free to do it. Take a look at it. Make it up. Uh, you know, open sourced it. Invited people to comment, to build code around it, design the code, design the structure." And uh, so people got in, all the computer folks got in, and the programmers got in and said, hey, this is cool, I'm going to jump in and put some stuff on here, build something up. And, and that was all good, and that was really the, the, the foundation that started Bitcoin. But the interesting thing about it is when uh, Satoshi came up with this stuff, introduced this stuff, released this stuff, it was actually very 
sophisticated stuff. It wasn't just, well, I'm thinking of just developing a system more on Bitcoin. It was very well developed, and I'll get into it in terms of how it's developed. So he put it out there in 2009, but then in 2011, he just disappeared. You know, Bitcoin was just still in its emphases um, and getting more traction because after the stock market meltdown and the financial crisis, these type of things started coming into play. But then in 2011, he uh, disappeared, just off the face of the earth, never heard of from the guy again. Now the question, so far I'm referring to Nakamoto as like a person. And the reality is nobody even knows if this person actually exists, whether there is actually a Satoshi Nakamoto or if it's just an anonymous, an alias uh, name that's representing an organization, a government entity, whatever, some Illuminati kind of thing who just put this out. So there's been a lot of discussion and mystery and intrigue in terms of who the hell is this Satoshi guy and how the hell did he develop something this sophisticated, um, so, such so intricate. And a lot of people think it isn't a single person, but it is actually an entity, an organization that's developed Bitcoin. Uh, and then there was a little big bu little buzz where some newspaper claimed to make a discovery saying, you know what, this Nakamoto guy is actually some dude in Australia, um, just a programmer who just came up with all this stuff. And I don't know, I, I honestly have no idea if that's been validated or anything, but there's just all kinds of intrigue. And I think that's what's given the whole Bitcoin, digital currency thing, a lot of this sort of allure, this attractiveness is because this whole mystery behind like where did this come from who the hell did this um, so that's some context I guess where it came from so figuring out okay what's good about Bitcoin and what's so what's crappy about Bitcoin so the good things about Bitcoin are is this kind of avoiding get taking out the middleman so it's unregulated in a sense in that there is no scrutiny by central banks banks governments um, there is that middle person, that kind of uh, middle guy, is not there. And in a sense, that's all a big reason why criminals, <laughs> the underbelly of the world, love Bitcoin because now they, they can transact, um, make transactions with each other, and it's very anonymous. It's, there's no face to a transaction. We'll get into that in terms of the when we talk about blockchains and stuff like that. Um, good thing about also, and I think it's part of the reason why the prices of Bitcoin have been going, is the scarcity of it. There's a very limited supply of Bitcoin out there. And again, uh, Satoshi kind of programmed it to be that way, in the sense that supply would be limited. And my understanding is it's $21 million, 21 million Bitcoins is out there available for circulation. And right now, that's the most that there could be of, of this stuff. And Based on analysis done, there's about 16 million uh, Bitcoins out there in circulation. So we're getting closer to cap. And I'm, again, I'm just kind of setting the stage for some other stuff later on. Good thing about Bitcoin also, because it's not that re it's not regulated, it doesn't there's really the value or the pricing of it isn't influenced by economics. It's not influenced by a central bank. It's not influenced by whatever interest rates or something. It's it's a, and we'll talk about pricing in a, in, a, in a little bit, but there's it just it just trades it just you just use it um, again because it's a digital currency. There's no middle person, so there's no kind of overhead costs associated with making a transaction. It's practically zero transaction costs to to trade in Bitcoin. So those are good things about it. Now the bad things about it are there it is unregulated, and I talked about there's that criminal element 
um, out there that can use it um, because you don't really have to disclose your identity. You just disclose your key, your digital ID, which is just a bunch of numbers. Nobody, it's very hard to trace who's doing what. It's just digital, it's just keys trading with each other. Um, tough thing with Bitcoin, and I guess the fact of the matter is there's 750 different kinds of currencies out there. And so the question is, which one is going to be the one that's going to be the standard? Like a lot of top people talk about Bitcoin kind of being the, the originator of cryptocurrencies. But there's a lot of people saying crypt, uh, Bitcoin is passe and there's other currencies out there that are going to kind of replace it. And Ethereum, Ether, Ether has been one of the ones that's been talked about quite a bit. So as much as we can talk about Bitcoin, it may not be the sort of the de facto cryptocurrency going forward. Um, I talked about being secure in the sense uh, it's hard to kind of alter transactions. And again, we'll talk about that from blockchain when we talk about blockchain. But there have been cases where accounts have been hacked. And uh, it's not completely foolproof. It's pretty foolproof, but there is that window. Um, pricing. Like, how the hell do you price these things? And again, we'll talk about this from an investment perspective. And finally, the last part, which you're probably not going to get right now, is it requires a lot of computer power to process. And I'll get that into that when I talk about blockchain. Actually, you know what? I might even talk about blockchain right now. So, <clears throat> actually, let's do that. Now, one thing I know, a lot of people right now, when I see people commenting and talking about Bitcoin and talking about cryptocurrencies, is they kind of lump in this term called blockchain, blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, and kind of using them as, as one and the same. And the fact of the matter is you really have to make a distinction between talking about Bitcoin and talking about blockchain technology. Bitcoin is just the currency, but blockchain technology is really the mechanism, the system for how cryptocurrencies transact. Now, the best way to think about it, I talked about the example where I wanted to go buy uh, paper clips. So I go, uh, or I wanted to go pay, pay a, a buddy of mine back for whatever, I borrowed some money from him. So I, instead I will say, I'll, I'll send my buddy um, some Bitcoin and that person will receive the Bitcoin and move on. Now what happens is every time a transaction exists involving Bitcoin, there is what this called sort of this big, and the best way to examine it is just a general ledger. It's just a big page. Think of it as just a big page of transactions. So anytime Bitcoin is transferred somewhere or used in a transaction, it gets logged in this ledger and it's called essentially a blockchain. Again, I don't know if I'm getting the terminology, but this is how I'm understanding it. It's basically a ledger of every transaction that's taken place with Bitcoin. And the cool thing about this uh, blockchain, or these blocks, actually that's what I should call it, is they're open. Anybody can see them. If you're connected into the whole network, you can, you know, onto a Bitcoin network, you can see all the transactions that go on. So it's, it, but the key thing is it's, it's anonymous. Nobody knows who those transactions are, but you can see all the transactions occur. The thing about it is it's open, and the, thing, and the thing that's important to note is that nobody owns it. So no entity owns the, the general ledger of Bitcoin. So as every transaction takes place with Bitcoin, they get stored in this block. And after a certain number of transactions, what happens 
is that these blocks are kind of bundled together. These individual transactions are kind of piled together into what is called a block. And then what happens is that for every block that's created, um, for, for whatever through whatever mechanism, sort of a timestamp or a code is attached to that block. And it's kind of like an, a numbering system. So, and as every batch of blocks are created, it's numbered and they sort of get linked, and this is where the chain concept, attached to the previous block that's created. So there's like an order of chains, a order of blocks that are linked together by these chains, and which is just a basically a unique identity identification number. So what happens is when these blocks are created, when all these transactions are bundled and formally included as a block, and linked to the previous block that was created, it's really hard to change anything. They're kind of like locked in. The only way you can change something, let's say you know you made a mistake in a transaction and you want to go back and adjust it or whatever, you can't, it's very, you have to, to change that transaction, you have to change all the previous blocks that were created before that, which is pretty impossible to do. And the problem is if you even tried, were able to change something in that blockchain, because it's an open system, everybody, somebody's going to notice it, and somebody's going to notice that you're screwing around with it. And so it's really hard, and this is the whole what makes cryptocurrencies uh, exciting and interesting to people is because of this blockchain technology and in, in how transactions are done within Bitcoin, is that it's secure, it's open, it's transparent, and it's really hard to, to hack into without anybody knowing about it. And so... A lot of people are talking about this type of format in terms of how you do transactions to be very appealing to um, taking this technology and applying it to other forms of commerce because of the concern. And that's because one of the big concerns right now is a lot of cyber terrorism, um, cybersecurity, um, trying to protect information. The current way we store information is very open to attack, to being hacked into. And so a lot of people are excited by blockchain, te blockchain technology because it kind of makes things a lot more secure. And basically, most cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin adopt blockchain technology and enables them to do this. So it's fascinating stuff. But people, so people, a lot of people say, "Oh, I'm going to invest in this blockchain um, company or whatever that's doing blockchain technology." And they think they're investing in Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency. What they're not, they're not. You're investing in a block in a company that specializes in developing blockchain type technology. You're not investing in Bitcoin per se or Ethereum or other cryptocurrency. So you have to make that distinguish. Blockchain technology, blockchain tra transaction technology, and Bitcoin are two separate things. Bitcoin is just the currency. Blockchain is the mechanism, the, the process in which cryptocurrencies trade with each other or transact um, with each other. Okay, this is what I'm getting. Uh, feel free to Correct me here uh, if I'm totally screwing people up, if I'm totally saying something wrong. Uh, this, is, this is just uh, how I'm trying to digest this, this whole concept. So why the hell are you talking about blockchain technology? So when it comes down to getting Bitcoin, supposedly I want to get some Bitcoin because <laughs> that's the big question. People say, how the hell do I buy Bitcoin? Well, there's two ways you can really buy Bitcoin. One way is the traditional way, which is um, selling something and you know accepting Bitcoin as a, as a payment, as a as a as a, me a medium for exchange, um, and so you know the the paperclip example, I go and uh, if I'm selling paperclips, I'll say you know those paperclips here are worth you know 
two bitcoins and if people want it they'll pay me two bitcoins and then that's how i can accumulate bitcoins um, <clears throat> some people say like bitcoins because it's it's unregulated it's almost like a kind of a digital form of bartering um, in the sense that because there's no it's not tied to any kind of relative value um, it's just almost like a bartering kind of tool um, like you know Canadian Tire money kind of thing like you give some Canadian Tire money get something back get a discount or whatever so um, people that kind of view Bitcoin as kind of like a quasi bartering kind of mechanism there too now the other way you can get Bitcoin is by this whole concept of mining and now this is where uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, when he introduced all the source code that was Bitcoin was, you know, when he introduced Bitcoin, he put this kind of incentive system. He created this incentive system where as transactions were done and bundled into blocks, what needed to be done was to make sure that those transactions that were bundled into blocks were legit, were valid. And so he created this mechanism. God, and this is where the people wonder if it actually was a single person or if it was an entity because it's so complicated and actually it's so much genius-like like that it's hard to believe one person could create this. Basically, he created a, a kind of a mechanism where if you joined the system, the network, and participated in this, he basically invited people to take their computers and connect it onto this peer-to-peer -peer network. And as blockchains transactions would occur with Bitcoin, they needed to get validated. And so what he did, I'm using he, I don't have no idea, was he put out these kind of puzzles which where people who were connected into the the, the network, the Bitcoin network, were asked to validate and kind of play, it was kind of this game to validate these transactions. And once they were validated, then the blocks would get created. And I just want to make sure I got this right. And so these networks, so if these people or computers that were connected, as they solved these problems and as they were able to validate transactions that went into the blockchain, the big general ledger, the system would reward the computers that were able to help in the validation and be able to solve these puzzles by giving them Bitcoin. They would get, they would be awarded a certain amount of Bitcoin. So the premise was when Bitcoin first came out, every time a block was created or validated, the system would release 50 Bitcoins. And they did it almost on every 10 minutes. So if you happen to have your computer plugged into the network and set it up so you could solve problems and help validate the transactions, um, the system would put in your account a certain amount of Bitcoins, depending on how much you participated in it. So when Bitcoin first came out, like every 10 minutes, and this is what Nakamoto did, he programmed all this stuff, which is fascinating. Every 10 minutes, the system would release 50 Bitcoins. And then depending on whoever had essentially the fastest computer that could process the information, the transactions fast enough, they would get a bigger chunk of those Bitcoins. So you would literally accumulate money. And so when people called it, this whole concept was called mining, mining for Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin came out, they essentially 
um, the ratio was 10, 50 bitcoins would be released into the world every 10 minutes. And now because, so what people started seeing was like, holy crap, if I could just get my computer to connect it in, I can just make some money, per quote unquote money. So then a bunch of smart people said, you know what, maybe if I get a whole ton of computers and combine them together, I can have a lot of processing power that I can process these um, transactions or solve these puzzles faster, so I'm going to get more Bitcoins. And so all of a sudden, you had all these people and organizations now literally set up warehouses full of computers that were all connected together, and all connected into this Bitcoin network, and they're just there 24-7 solving problems, validating transactions, and trying to build and trying to win Bitcoin. So the premise behind all this is just to have an open source, open environment, transparent environment where all these transactions are, are, are evaluated. Instead of having them in a corner somewhere in sort of this black box, the intention was have it open sourced. This is what Nakamoto's, Nakamoto's or Satoshi's uh, vision is just having everything uh, validated by a community, a community of computers all connected together. So it's interesting when Bitcoin came out, the ratio was every 10 minutes you'd have 50 Bitcoins released into the world. Now today, and I don't even know if this is even right, as time has gone on, um, the system is again programmed to release fewer and fewer Bitcoins. So when the system, when Bitcoin was released, it was cranking out 20, 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. Now it's the ratio is 12 and a half Bitcoins, and I don't even know if it's that. It might be even less. So. Again, this is the genius of the whole system is that Nakamoto programmed in a way saying that as more Bitcoin, as time went by, it would release fewer Bitcoins into the system and also make the puzzles and the validation process much harder to do. And so making it harder to do, if you were able to solve the puzzles, you would get more Bitcoin. But the problem is you couldn't just do it on your own. You needed to have an army of computers to do that. So the incentives to get more Bitcoin required you to have bigger infrastructure to do it. And this is the premise. It's actually, as time goes on, it's going to get harder and harder. And this feeds back into, if you remember, I earlier said there was like 30, 21 million Bitcoins programmed to be released into the world. And so as time has gone on, it's become slower and slower in the sense that fewer and fewer Bitcoin is getting released, which makes sense. It's going to take longer and longer for it to fully get used up. So this whole mining concept, again, it feeds into this, is all about this blockchain technology. So um, so that's kind of the way. You can either just you know go out and go down the store and buy it, sell it, trade it, or you can mine for it. And so there's companies out there that are just only in the business of mining Bitcoin. So when you look at the ratio and the value and the pricing of Bitcoin now, imagine if you were one of those companies who mined for Bitcoin in the early days and you know you just had you know, a lot of Bitcoin and now knowing what it's worth, that was, looks like a pretty damn good investment. So that's the how to get it part. Now the question is, how do you transact with this stuff? And as I said, there's no coins, there's no bills, there's paper money or anything. It's all digital. And so to, to, to trade or exchange <coughs> Bitcoin, to engage in commerce really using Bitcoin, you need to have a, what's called a digital wallet. And that's really that digital wallet is going to hold um, your unique ID or a specific 
you know, digital key that you can use to, it's kind of like a bank account that has bitcoins attached to it. And so when you want to go out and buy something and pay with bitcoins, you just use that key, that digital wallet to transact with it, to pay somebody or to receive somebody. If somebody's going to give you bitcoin, you just give them your, your key or a code of it and then they will transfer that your appropriate amount of bitcoin into your personal key. Now there's two types of digital keys. There's the public key and again this is part I'm a little wishy. And there's a private key which is basically your own unique key which you use to undertake transactions and it's yours, it's unique and the problem with it though is if you lose it and you forget what that key is um, you lose the account because nobody knows what the, how to get into it. So if you had a hundred bitcoins in your key and you lost that key, you, you don't know where it was, you forgot what it is, you, you know, the file that has that key, you lose it, somebody takes it, then you're out. You, that, you don't get that bitcoin. You can't go to somebody and say, I lost my account, I lost my key, can you give me another one and replenish my account? No, you lose everything. So that's kind of the ew, scary part about bitcoin is um, security of your key. So that's why people say it's, not, it's secure in terms of transactions, but it's not secure in terms of you protecting your wallet because if somebody hacks into your computer and your key is in the wallet in your computer, they can take the key and boom, they can start doing it and you can't figure out who did it because you have no idea who did it. So that's a key component when you're doing transactions in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency is that nobody knows exactly who's doing what. And so when you look at those, that blockchain, the general ledger, you see a list of all these transactions. It's just transactions between keys and nobody knows who's doing it. So it's really hard for the law enforcement or governments or whatever to tr find out what the hell's going on. So I wonder if you, are you with me so far? <laughs> this is pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy stuff. It's pretty intense stuff, but that's really what the whole mechanism is with, with Bitcoin. Now, as I said, Bitcoin was the one that came out first and kind of set the stage for this, but there are, there are other players and as I said there's a lot of players out there. Now the one that's kind of so a lot of people think Bitcoin is kind of be going to be like the mind MySpace of digital currencies because it's going to be you know MySpace was the first one that came out and then eventually died away because other better currencies came out, better alternatives and services came up Facebook and you know Instagram and all this stuff. Um, so a lot of people think uh, Bitcoin is going to be kind of like the MySpace that it's kind of set the standard but Practicality-wise, it's going to be hard for it to maintain that um, standard. And so a lot of people are looking at other currencies. So Ether has just recently gained a lot of prominence. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the Russians. It has a lot to do with Putin because he's gone out and been quite uh, interested in this one. And also part of it because it was also invented by a Russian, actually a Canadian who lives here in Canada, um, of Russian descent. And actually, Putin wanted, went and actually wanted to meet with the guy to talk about it and to understand what this is all about. Because And so when people started hearing about this, and because of the sort of anonymous nature of cryptocurrencies, people were wondering, hmm, what's he up to? Is he going to start going hardcore into this stuff to kind of protect a lot of his whatever wealth, quote-unquote wealth, that he's been building on? So that's there's created a lot of speculation of that. So again, I want to give you a quick understanding of what Ether is because you hear terms like Ethereum and you hear Ether. And again, everybody thinks they're one and the same. They're not. The blockchain component, that blockchain con technology component, they call 
is called Ethereum. And essentially what it is, is just a program that, that this guy uh, developed. And it's basically, you put it on your computer and allows computers to connect to different computers all over the world through a peer-to-peer -peer method. Same principle behind it. But it's using the same blockchain pr uh, principle, have a whole bunch of transactions, put them in a block, link them up together. Now the difference between the Ethereum one and the traditional blockchain one, like for example that Bitcoin is using, is that Bitcoin generates these blocks or releases Bitcoin you know, for the mining people every 10 minutes. Now the Ethereum blockchain technology does it every 14 seconds. So it's a much faster processing uh, mechanism. And it's also allows you to process, and the reason why is because it processes smaller blocks at a faster rate. So people say this is a much better way of doing processing transactions than the old school blockchain, original blockchain, because it does it much faster and it's much more real time and chances are it's much more, it'll be much more accurate and less prone to, 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 to hacking or kind of breaking down the, because the blocks are getting at a much faster rate. So the, just like the blockchain technology creates Bitcoin that you can mine, the, the Ethereum uh, technology does the same thing. It generates these tokens that are called Ether. And the, the differentiator, again, between Ether and Bitcoin is that Bitcoin, the way Nakamoto set it up, was that it, it capped the amount of Bitcoin that you could create, 21 million. Ether is unlimited. There's no cap on it. So it's constantly, it can create Ether. The system will create Ether unlimited. And so, again, that people appeals to people um, this high cap um, mechanism to do that. So that's that's all I want to say about it. So but that's the difference right now is that people are really into uh, Ether right now because of the fact that it does much processing. The, 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 the blockchain technology or behind Ether, which is Ethereum, is much more faster and can produce more uh, transactions much more quicker. And so people are attracted to that whole concept. And then Putin gave it sort of this kind of endorsement in a sense by kind of validating it by, by actually going out there and actually wanting to talk about it. So people are really, that's kind of created a lot of speculation behind, you know, what the Russians are doing and stuff like that. So, so what that is kind of in an essence, what Bitcoin, Ether, cryptocurrencies, what they are, what they, how they work, how you use them, how you trade with them, the technology that's behind how these currencies work. That's that's kind of the baseline. Understand? That's my understanding of how this stuff works. Now the question here we come down to, and it's taken. You know, I've had to go through this to get to this point, which is, and this is the because this is the questions I'm getting all the time now is, should I be buying Bitcoin? Should I be investing in this stuff? Cryptocurrencies is that the way to go? Like which cryptocurrency? Like what's the value of Bitcoin? What's like what's the price of Bitcoin? What's the value of going to be? And so this is the part. At its core, I have no idea really how to go through this. And I'm really, I've been trying to figure it out. I came across a really good, and I recommend you check this out on YouTube, Scott Galloway and Aswant Demoradin, I hope I got his name right, two professors from um, NYU, uh, Stern School of Business. Uh, you probably know Scott Galloway from his, his marketing stuff. Um, Aswant 
brilliant guy. These are brilliant guys. They know their stuff. They did a little thing called cryptocurrency primer and cryptocurrency. It's a video on YouTube. Just YouTube it and you'll find it. It's about six minutes long. And they discussed the whole concept of this investing at angle with respect to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and try to answer the question like, what's it worth? And in the video, uh, Aswant kind of walks us through the thought process, how you have to think about these things. So the question is, what's it worth? Well, the problem, the thing about when you look at cryptocurrencies, when you look at Bitcoin and Ether, is they're currencies. They're designed to be currencies, methods of exchange for facilitating exchange of goods and services. They're currencies, no different than a Canadian dollar, a US dollar, a Euro, you know, a uh, pound, whatever. They're currencies. And just like traditional currencies, there really isn't any value in it because currencies, and just like commodities like gold, they don't generate cash flows. There's no cash flow generation mechanism of owning a dollar or owning Bitcoin or owning gold. They don't generate cash flow. They're just, they just, they're just there. They just have a price. And the only way they have credibility is because people trust it. So when people out there are telling you, well, uh, Bitcoin's going to go to like $5,000 uh, US, well, you don't know that. You can't. You can't say that because there's nothing, there's no cash flow coming out of the currency to justify that. Like, well, just when you value a company, a stock, you're valuing based on the future progress because you know the company's going to be in the business in the future and it's going to generate cash flows. And so as an investor, you need to estimate and evaluate those cash flows and make some assumptions, make some educated guesses on what kind of cash flows it's going to generate in the future, and then bring that back to determine if that's uh, the value of that ca those cash flows are going to be greater or less than the underlying value uh, that the stock is trading at. Currencies, you can't do that. It's just the price. So if Bitcoin is $4,000 right now, worth $4,000, it's worth $4,000. That's what somebody is going to pay for it right now. But to say it's worth $4,000 because of the currency issue or something going on in the Middle East or something, oil prices are down or interest rates are going up or the business is down, the economy is down, unemployment, you can't do it because it's not linked to anything. And that's, I think, the first kind of flag people have is when you hear somebody saying Bitcoin's going to go up to like $5,000, well, yeah, well, it can go down to zero too. There's no underlying, you can't link it to anything to justify that price, to justify that price. Now, as I said, it's hard to value these things. You can't value things, but you can price it because price is what somebody is willing to pay for it. And just like currencies, traditional currencies, you price currencies relative to another currency. So, uh, and a lot of times, so you can price Canadian dollars in terms of US dollars, US dollars in terms of Canadian dollars. I can price Canadian dollars in terms of euros. I can price Bitcoin in terms of US dollars. And so a lot of people are saying because US dollar has been very weak, value of Bitcoin is worth more now relative to US dollars. Ultimately, when you price something and base something on price, it's based on trust. And this is as it pertains to currencies, it's based on trust. So the value, uh, or the, not the value, the price of an underlying currency is based on the amount of trust people have in the paper, because currencies are paper, they're fiat money, um, the price is based on what people trust that, that paper to be 
to be to mean is the value is the price of the US dollar is honing physical US dollars knowing the fact that it's going to be honored by somebody if I give it to somebody they're going to give me back something goods and services for it can I trust that that paper currency that's being in front of me and so the same thing applies to Bitcoin can I trust that I give a Bitcoin to somebody that they're going to give me a good and service accordingly uh, pro proportionate to it or they're going to give me back some other Bitcoin or some something else or another currency that will reflect that pricing component the premise, and I guess again, with currencies, is currency prices increase and decrease relative to trust. So if people lose trust in uh, the U.S. dollar because the underlying government behind it is weak and might be in trouble, then the value, the price of that U.S. dollar is going to go down. And it's no different than in cryptocurrencies. People will use put uh, a price on crypto, on Bitcoin, if there is a trust behind using that. And if there's enough people around the world or in the community can do that. Like traditionally, think about how we look at currencies. Um, when we lose trust in a currency, in a country, we think that's in trouble. And what do we do is traditionally we go to an alternative currency, which is often gold. And gold, again, there's no cash flow associated with it. There's nothing valuable. In it's just because we trust gold. We trust gold to hold its value when times are tough. And so cryptos is kind of almost the way the modern gold in the sense that if we lose faith and trust in the current institutions and organizations around us in business, we will go to something alternative that we do trust in. And right now people are trusting cryptocurrencies. They're trusting Bitcoin. Um, and it's almost a generational thing because uh, Bitcoin, traditionally, when we, when times of uncertainty, we go to gold. Gold has been the safe haven. So what's happening now is I think the younger generation is saying, no, no we don't trust gold either. We, need a, we trust Bitcoin. We trust cryptocurrencies because it's unregulated. It's, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, it's unregulated. There's no government behind it. There's no manipulation going on it. It's a direct zero transaction uh, based system. We put, our, we put more value and more trust into that than we do in government institutions, business, corporate institutions, dealing with that whole thing. So that's what's going on right now. So why is, so you know, think about it. Now with Bitcoin exploding in price, what's the underlying driver behind it? It's driving is because they, people do not trust the institutions anymore right now and we've got everything going on in the states with the mad king we've got we you know, went through a financial crisis it's no coincidence that nakamoto came up with this stuff in 2008 in the depths of the financial crisis it's no coincidence also that traditional investment vehicles because of the low interest rate policy in the world people are looking for alternative mechanisms to get yield and so people are looking at cryptocurrencies because putting your money in a bank and getting 0.1% interest is just not going to cut it. It's not going to grow my savings over a long time. So that's what's happening. People are piling into this stuff because of the, that's the play right now. It's just there's just such an uncertainty and lack of trust in institutions that cryptocurrencies have become the place to go. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, what's happening, and it's, well, I'll talk about it in a sec. So 
<coughs> what's happening though is price of Bitcoin has been going up quite a bit. Now the question is, is there like a mad dash into Bitcoin? Well, the thing about bubbles and think about when markets get really exuberant about something, whether it's stocks or bonds or whatever, whatever asset class, is that you don't need a lot of people to drive up a price quite a bit. You only need to have a lot of people who are really scared about something or really passionate about something or really overconfident about something to drive a price up. And the other thing also what's driving the price up with Bitcoin is also the perceived scarcity. The fact that there's only 21 million of these things out there in circulation and scarcity is a factor too. And that's driving up the price. You know, compared to like, you know, central banks print money like endlessly deflates the value. Scarcity is, you know, traditional money is easy to get. Digital currency, not so much. So it's interesting. Scott Galloway and Aswan Demarandan had this interesting discussion. That's how they frame this discussion. To me, it's the best way to understand what's going on with this stuff. So when you look at the market right now, stock market, and just look at the financial markets right now, what you're seeing is you're having a really deep divide. And it's a division right now between, and it's what's dividing the division in between with how investors feel about the market. It's really what their premise is, is that it's politics driving people's perceptions and emotions. Especially in the US, because we have such a polarized country right now where you have a whole group of people who think everything's fine and really don't see, when they look at cryptocurrencies, they see it as a gimmick. Yeah, but a lot of people also seeing stock market being overpriced and there's no alternatives out there. And that group of people have a very defined political view viewpoint. And so this division is really f fueling, this is what a lot of experts, are, you know, people are, are getting the sense is love. This division is fueling this drive into cryptocurrencies. People are just totally fed up with the institutions. Trump is, you know, going crazy threat of nuclear war, Russia hacking, all that stuff, uh, excessive low interest rates, which have basically benefited a small group of people versus the overall benefit of society, stagnant wages. People are very divided along political lines on this. And it's kind of filtering into how people make investment decisions and also doing in how they view the world. So. The premise is, and it comes down again, figuring out what do you want to invest in this stuff. At the end of the day, when I look at this stuff, this stuff is currency. Whether you're investing in Bitcoin or US dollars or whatever, you're investing in currencies. And at the end of the day, currencies are extremely risky things to invest in. Because to me, investing in currencies is like trying to predict the weather. You don't know, it is impossible to predict what the weather is going to be 20 minutes from now, let alone two months from now, two years from now. And what's happening though is just a lot of because of political ideologies, a lot of emotion is getting into the discussion and the political discussion has been very emotional. It's feeding into this whole, Bitcoin has just been that convenient, um, been in the right place at the right time to capture people's emotions. And so what's happening is emotions are really driving this whole Bitcoin thing. Um, fear of missing out. You know, if you see somebody's buying Bitcoins, you know, they made like a million bucks out of Bitcoin. They were at the right place at the right time. Fear of missing out. 
it's almost like Bitcoin to we this cryptocurrency is almost like it's like the solar eclipse of of investing in the sense that we know we should be in it and we know we should we shouldn't look at it because currencies are risky but we're going to look at this we're going to look at the eclipse anyway knowing that it could cause a lot of damage to our health and terms our eyes but we keep looking into it so what you got here is you got a price going up of a of a of a currency that's really being driven by emotions there's no fundamental like cash flow generation aspect to it it's just purely a speculative concept right now because as we said currencies don't have cash flow generation it's basically price and right now people are pricing this up because they feel like they don't know what to do the alternative investing alternatives are limited there's a lot of insecurity in, in from a political social perspective they're looking they're fed up with it they're looking for an alternative and a lot of people are saying as long as trump is still in there as long as this north korea thing is in there as long as every day the soap opera continues that bitcoin is going to keep going up and up and up and that's that's a lot of people who are real proponents of bitcoin are are saying this thing is going to keep going up because there's just so much stupidity going on in the world now i don't know i don't know you're asking me should i be would i be buying bitcoin would i be i can't tell you that right now i just this is what i'm seeing right now but what i'm seeing here is a lot of behaviors that are, are very similar to what happens in an asset bubble. We're seeing um, overconfidence. People are really sure, it's almost like pounding the table that this thing is gonna keep going up forever. There's a security, a scarcity perspective. A lot of times what drives up you know, bubble prices are scarcity, perceived scarcity of, a, of an asset or resource. Um, there's that guarantee element that's out there saying this is guaranteed to go up. And there's emotions now being emotions are driving a lot of decision making and a lot of the decision making also is being driven on, some, on an asset class that has no cash flow it's difficult to place a cash flow uh generate because it doesn't generate cash flows so when i put all these elements together it seems to provide the ingredients for a bubble now whether it's going to pop tomorrow or six months or whatever i have no clue all i can say is as i look at it as an investor i just see a lot of the behavior a lot of the sentiment Holy crap, go on Facebook groups, on investing groups and stuff like that I see. It's all about cryptocurrencies. It's all emotional. There's nothing, no fundamental analysis to be done because it's really hard to. You can't do it. And there's a lot of people investing in blockchain stuff thinking they're investing in currencies when they're totally not. So there's a lot of lack of education involved in here. And so that's the other side of it too. You put all these ingredients together, you set yourself up for a real world of, you know, of hurt on it so that's what I see right now that's what I'm seeing right now um, with this whole currency thing I hope this kind of made sense as I said I'm learning this stuff just like you are so I don't know if I've totally painted a terribly wrong picture here feel free to correct me on anything that I've said because I said I don't profess to know everything and everything about this I just trying to understand what this is and what it works and what's behind it and what's from an investing perspective what's driving this I don't know you tell me if I've missed something here um, now let's learn together right now it's got a very bubbly vibe to it now whether Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies are gonna stick around I have no idea no idea about it love to hear from you 
feel free to uh, send me an email. Or you can go on my uh, Facebook group, Sage Investors, Facebook page, sorry. Got to make a difference. Facebook page. Love to hear what you have to say about cryptocurrencies. Drop in a comment there. Let's have a chat about it. Um, you can go through Twitter. My handle is at, at Sage Investors. I'm on there commenting about all kinds of stuff on the markets. Uh, not necessarily a lot of stuff on Bitcoin, but uh, I'm out there. Check me out. Follow away. And also, any previous podcasts and videos that I've done, you can find it through my website, sageinvestors.ca. Or through iTunes, do a search on Sage Investors about all things investing. So I hope this has been of value of, to you, and I hope you've been able to at least come away with some basic elements of understanding with that, because education is a core important making investment decisions. You want to be understanding what you, so if you're going to go down this road to investing with Bitcoin or some cryptocurrency, understand what you're investing in. Don't just do it because somebody else told you to do it, because you saw somebody on CNBC said, I, you know, I invested $5 into it, and now I'm like $2 million uh, richer for it. Do the homework, engage in the concept, and then make an informed investment decision. That's all I got for you this week. We'll be back to more, hopefully we'll be back to more investing stocks, ETFs oriented kind of discussions we'll have uh, next week. And uh, let's do that. Thanks for listening, everybody. My name is Amin Reina and of Sage Investors, and thank you very much for listening to another episode of Stock Talk. We'll catch you again another time. Take care. Mm-hmm.